That was very beautiful. Thank you, choir, for that. That took a lot of work, I know. The harmony was pretty impressive. All right, uh, I'm going to start my tally here again because uh, I do know one person is going to raise their hand when I say, have you read the book of Daniel this week? There it is. You got one. You got two. Others, others? All right, I got your three. Is that three? Three fingers? Two fingers. One, two, three. Okay. I didn't put on my binoculars yet today. Three, okay, others? No? That is 73. There are two of you out there, and you know who you are. You haven't read the book of Daniel yet. We need your number on here. We're aiming for 75, and that's exciting. If we go way past that to 150, I'll be glad. But uh, we need two more just to say we've reached our goal. We also need 75 of those who did one word for each chapter, and we're at 16 right now. I think we've got a lot more work to go. Oh, we've got someone. All right. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. There's one. Somebody else. Let's see. One. We got 17. There's only a handful left to go on that to reach 75. Maybe by the end of the year, if we all do one each week, we'll get there. Uh, Bible verses. How about that? Somebody memorize any verse from the book of Daniel this week? Oh, this is a tougher one, isn't it? No? Okay, we're up to 22 there. So, we know that it's possible. Other people have done it. So, I want to encourage you. If you want to invest some time this week, which I highly recommend, in the book of Daniel, uh, there are three options for you. And two of you are going to read this week. You know who you are. So, uh, that's exciting. All right, turn to chapter number two, will you please? Verse 44 and 45. Take a quick look up there at the clock. And uh, this is actually part two. Remember last week I had four pages. I was waving at you and said I didn't get it done. You're going to get it today. And so that's what we're going to work through. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. In, those, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put to an end all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Lord, we know your word is true and trustworthy. And as we learn from it again today, as we look upon these things, guide us in our understanding so that we might be quicker to give you praise. 
in our day and age, we are called to trust you. Just like anybody else all the way through time has been called to trust you. And I pray that our study will enhance that in our thinking, uh, strengthen our faith, uh, help us to stand in a day like ours, and bring you glory. Thank you, Lord, for our opportunity to look at this passage again. Pray that you help us with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, trust God regardless. I keep saying that, don't I? Our whole point of this study is to be uncompromising, have a resolution to follow God and obey him, regardless of the consequences of living in a pagan world. Daniel had to live in that. We have to live in that. And that's why the, the application is so easy for us as we study this passage to know Number one, our God is in control. Sometimes we read the newspaper or, or check it online or such, and we say, I don't know what's happening here. What's, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? I'll just remind you, our God is in control. And this passage reminds us again that he has a plan. And we're walking through that plan together as we study these passages. There are, uh, in these pages, the vision of failed kingdoms. They rise and they fall, but they do not endure. They do not last, but the last kingdom we are looking at will. And that's the one that gets our focus today. So, Royce is going to pop up my little picture here, which you might have almost memorized by now. Uh, we have on our picture here our statue laying on its side just to represent the kingdoms we've seen so far. The gold one representing Babylon, which was the head. Mede and the Persians, the, the silver, the chest, and the arms. The Greece, the bronze, uh, the waist, the thighs. The Roman uh, kingdom represents the legs and the feet, and there's partial clay and partial iron. That's the Roman kingdom that we have seen so far. Now, we've also read, as you saw in verse 44 and 45, about a stone. And uh, like I said last time, these are what we call the times of the Gentiles, these, these kingdoms here. Uh, you are still living in that time. That's where we are today. We're still in the time of the Gentiles. We're waiting for that to be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period. That's when the time of the Gentiles will be over and our Savior will set up his kingdom. We call that the millennial kingdom. That is yet to come. We are possibly seven years away from that. Should the Lord come for us today? And should the tribulation start tomorrow? Just if those things should be. Seven-year tribulation, then Christ will set up his kingdom. We could be that close. We don't know. He didn't tell us the time, did he? We don't have those kind of factors in our ability to understand. But we do know it's coming, and I think it's coming very soon. I do think so. Uh, so, as this dream is described to uh, Nebuchadnezzar by Daniel, he's going through the various parts, he's describing them, and we've been walking through that. But I want to focus on this last one. Go back to verse 34 for a minute. This is the way he first described it without interpretation. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. It struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and crushed 
them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And verse 44 and 45 was the interpretation of what that meant as Daniel explained it to him. So, observations. I started last week and I'll add to some, but I'll review a few of these as well. The stone, as you see here, will follow the order of the other four. The other four, uh, as we have seen the, the kingdoms come and go and come and go all the way through here, this stone appears as we have at the end of the whole picture of the other places, other kings. That stone has not yet come. That kingdom is not yet established. Uh, it will be the last of the kingdoms. Because we are told it's a kingdom. Look at verse 44. He said, concerning that stone, it's a kingdom that will rise up and never be destroyed. A kingdom that will not be left for the others. It will put an end to all the other kingdoms. He identifies it as a kingdom. Though we're going to use the stone for our picture yet, because it doesn't have a name. It's just the stone, and it represents a kingdom. So, this kingdom has not yet come. We're not there. There are a lot of depictions in Scripture, a lot of explanations of what that kingdom will look like, what it will be like. And uh, we could be here the rest of the day and maybe the rest of this week if we wanted to start digging into all the verses to describe what that kingdom is like. I do know my Savior is going to be the king. And that's what I look forward to. And that's going to be a fantastic time. But that does not come until the last one is finished. That's what we're seeing here in our picture. I'll give you a little more, more of that again. But the very fact is, since that stone has not come yet, that kingdom has not started yet, the last of the kingdom is still in operation. This one's still going. That's where we are. Uh, the stone, by the way, was cut out of a mountain. The second thing we noticed along this way was that it is not going to be the product of the previous kingdoms. These kingdoms do not build this one. It is not even attached to it. The stone is entirely separate from the uh, statue itself. Uh, that stone is not going to be the product of the other ones. It is entirely separated. It's made without hands. The scripture made that apparently clear for us. Uh, it would suggest to us that man will have no part in making this stone. Matter of fact, it says rather clearly, this is God's work. This is God's kingdom he is setting up. Uh, just the idea that this kingdom is somehow facilitated by the church, which is being taught today in places, that the church is what's going to bring this kingdom about, uh, that's outside of normal interpretation here. That's not what the text says. There is no church in the book of Daniel. <laughs> There's nothing in reference to the church in the book of Daniel. And it's way outside of interpretation to suggest that this is a product of the church. It is not the product of the church. Uh, for quite some time, 
the church has been getting credit for it, or people have been interpreting that way, that the church has a part in bringing this kingdom to the forefront, making it happen. Uh, back in the early 1900s, they really thought that if the church would get busy and clean up this place and make it all better, the Lord will come and set up that kingdom. We've got to get it ready for him. And, and there was a lot of optimism in their songs and in their theology that somehow we were going to fix the earth and the Lord will come because we have made it so glorious. How are we doing? I think it's going the other direction. I, I tend to think that, and probably you do too. But the reality is, verse 44, this is a product of God himself. God will cause this. You see those words? This is God's product, not ours. He has the hands to cut it, and he will do that. Third thing I want to point out is that this is a real kingdom. This is a real kingdom. Just like the same word is used for the previous ones. Were they real? I'm just going to pull this one out. The Medes and the Persians. Of course, we know that was all symbolic, right? No. Did they have a starting place? Yes. Did they have an ending place? Yes. Did they have a location on the earth? Did they have a capital? Did they have an army? Yes. It was a literal kingdom, was it not? So was Babylon, so was Greece, so was Rome, and suddenly we have another kingdom. Why is it in interpretation that this all of a sudden becomes a spiritual thing in comparison to the rest that were literal? We shift our hermeneutics suddenly and say, this is all spiritual, this is allegorical, this is symbolic, this is something different. But in the normal interpretation of our text, all of these are kingdoms. They're all kingdoms. They're just as real one to the other, every single one of them. We don't interpret the other ones in a spiritual way, and I don't think we should interpret Christ's kingdom in a spiritual way as well. It's a literal thing that he's talking about here in this passage. It's a literal thing. It is a kingdom. Christ will be on this earth. Christ will have a kingdom. Christ will have a throne. Christ will rule over the world as he promised with a rod of iron. Literally, he will be here. And that is consistent with the interpretation of all the other kingdoms. It's just the way we follow through. And we say, okay, that's good. It is a real kingdom. It is a real kingdom. The stone also that crushes the statue, number four if you're counting, it starts at the feet. It pulverizes the entire structure from the chaff. It turns into chaff and is blown away. There's no trace of it, that which remains. You saw that versus as well. The kingdoms that exist prior to the stone, the kingdoms we have talked about represented in that statue, they will not have moved their characteristics to this one. What it says here is that the, the stone will not look like the rest. It will not be like the rest. Uh, it will not reserve any part of the previous kingdoms for its own. It will not build from where those kingdoms were. It doesn't need the materials of the pre other four because it is entirely separate. Matter of fact, what becomes of the four? They get crushed and they blow away and nothing remains. 
I think that's very important to the whole picture of all this because this is really where it's harder for us to conceive it in our mind. The kingdom of Christ is going to be so unique, so different. All we're used to is this because <laughs> that's all we've ever lived in. We're used to the finances of our world and the education of our world. We're used to the structures of government. We're used to the powers and how those powers ex ex express themselves. We're used to the, the strategies and the cultures and the armies and all these parts. We read about it every day. We live underneath it all the time. When we study history, do we not study the ruler and their army, the ruler and their army, and the battles they fought, and the victories and the failures, and all these? We've got history, books full of events. All of that is pulverized. All of it is blown away. Nothing remains. This kingdom doesn't need those four to build from. Doesn't need to borrow from them. Christ is not going to get here and say, i got to set up a committee to help me with education. He's not going to set up a committee or a, a defense, some sort of cabinet or some of that nature that we're so used to. All of that is gone. That's going to be quite a change for us to see. Quite a radical change at that. But this is what this says. They will be obliterated. Nothing will remain. Nothing will be carried into this kingdom. That's the uniqueness of Christ's kingdom. It's quite unique. It defies logic. Just like a stone growing. That's what verse number 34 said. When we looked at that, it was right at the uh, end. I've got a... Back up, was it 34? Yes. Verse 34, you continued looking. It talks about the stone that was cut out is verse 35. It says at the very end of 35, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. We're not used to that growing either. That's quite unique. And, and you could go into all kinds of different parables and try to compare them up here. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 has quite a few, and some of those are in reference to things like trees that just keep growing and growing and growing. Here it's a stone that keeps growing and growing and growing and filling the whole place, uh, filling the whole earth. That's pretty impressive too. And Daniel does not interpret that for us. He does not tell us what that means, so we'll have to wait for that one uh, a little bit later. But here's one more point that goes with this, if you're up to number six maybe. Uh, in those days of the kings, the God of heaven will cause a kingdom to rise up which will never be destroyed. Never be destroyed. It itself will stand forever. There is no end to this kingdom. All the others have an end. There's no end to this kingdom. No final place. No destruction. No defeat to the enemy. No other will replace it. It's the last one. It's the final kingdom. It will not be left for another people. That also is challenging for us to understand. Because we're not used to the words forever, are we? We have calendars. We have clocks. I've got a limitation. It's right there. I don't like that thing. But it tells me I can't go on forever. You know how that works. Even if you try, 
and you think, well, I'm not going to sleep ever again. It's not going to work, is it? Because eventually your body would just turn off and say, you're going to sleep. We can't imagine forever. It's hard to fathom forever. This kingdom has all the flavor of forever. None of the other kingdoms ever have, and no other kingdom ever will. This is Christ's kingdom. It will last forever. It won't be given to another. It won't be taken over by another. And Christ will reign forever. He will reign forever. You know all those promises he makes to us about being saved forever and such? Aren't you glad you have a high priest who will never die? He rose again, never to die again. So who will take his place? He doesn't get old. He doesn't wear out. He's not on Medicare. This is our God. And this is his kingdom. I love to look at it and think, wow, what is that going to be like? To stand there and see that. To rejoice in that. It's going to change a lot of our thinking. Just to know what scripture has told us is true. It is true. We haven't even talked about the king. The vision that Daniel saw, the dream, did not talk about the king. We will get more into the king as we talk about that. We don't know the timing. When is that going to happen other than at the end of this one? We don't have a timing other than that. We would like a timing. We'd like to set that on our calendar. Why? <coughs> then we'd start the countdown, wouldn't we? We'd start saying, oh, it's only this many days away. It's only this many days away. And do you know what we will do as human beings? We will wait until a week before it to do something we ought to do. Because we are procrastinators, aren't we? Let's not confess it. But if we started a club, how many will be in it? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. That's the point. He doesn't tell you these things because he knows the way we are. We wait and wait and wait until we say, okay, now it's time. But Daniel didn't have any idea when these changes were coming. He had to live through the first one. He entered into the second one. He didn't pass the second one. But there was yet a third one and a fourth one before the stone ever would come. What else do we find here as we're working through this passage? It says, uh, as well, the kingdom of the stone will come at the time at the end of the final kingdom. It will destroy them all. As long as this kingdom remains, this one, this one, we call it the Roman Empire, uh, described by feet and toes and, and, and feet, the last kingdom is not here yet. I reiterate that. Uh, from the theological perspectives of our day, what is being taught and has been taught for a long time, when we talk about the kingdom, some say it's already in operation right now. It's already going on right now. Uh, as if this is a spiritual kingdom. This is something spiritual. It, it, it's, there are some who believe you're living in the millennium right now. I always have a test for that. You want to try it? Find your first snake and just start playing with it. I'll tell you what, you'll find out real quick, you're not in the millennium. Because it says that the child can play with the, the viper. And that's not the case. By the way, when you're planting and you're sowing, are your planters 
passing up your sowers? Are your sowers passing up the planters? I think we have a thing called a drought right now. Have you ever noticed? We're praying for rain. We're praying for rain. The millennial period talks about a time when the produce, there is no end to one season to the next season to the next season. One is working right on the heels of the other one because of the way the ground is producing. Are we in that day and age? No, they say, well, it must be symbolic then. It, it, it must be symbolic. That's why they don't see physical manifestations of it. What's wrong with physical manifestations of it being literal? God made this earth. Can he make it produce like he wants? Absolutely. I, I only say all that because even in the circles I like, the dispensational circles, there is a group out there now called Progressive. They have an idea that they're mixing into their eschatology, that the kingdom is in operation already now. They call it already and not yet. And that gets very confusing to people. They say, how's that work? Well, they say, well, this is symbolic. This is, this is going to be real, yes, but it's symbolic too. And so they're mixing different dis, uh, uh, hermeneutical concepts to the whole thing. I think if you just take it just literally like it says, it says it comes and destroys the other kingdoms. And as long as that is true, those other kingdoms still exist. So this kingdom's not here yet. It's not here yet. That's why I think it's hard to believe that the kingdom of Christ is in operation today because those other kingdoms are still influencing us. We're still under them. And the whole point of all this brings me to what I've been trying to say all along. We are under the influence, we are under the times of these kingdoms. We are still here. We're just in the same sandals Daniel was. Although he was on that end of the spectrum, we're on this end of the spectrum. But guess what? We're all called to do the same thing. This world is being governed by those who don't care whether or not the Lord is sovereign or not. The governments of our world don't think that way. We're living in the present world right now, and if you haven't noticed, it's an evil generation. It's an evil generation. When we focus on ourselves in history, it's not hard to see that the things around us are not characterized by righteousness. They're not. And it might be a puzzle for you, and it might be a puzzle for me to try to figure out, why is this world like it is? Why is it under this kind of thing? It was a puzzle for everyone who read the scripture, all the way from Daniel's day all the way to the present. It was a puzzle to understand, why, Lord, did you have us go through this? Why are we in this? Why don't you come? Have you ever prayed for him to come? Have you ever said, Lord, how about today? You know, as a teenager, we never prayed that way. You know why? Because we said, no, Lord, let, let me first graduate from college. Let me get married. Let me have a house. Let me have a job. And then you could come. Oh, tell me you've never prayed that way. A lot of us did. We said, we just want to experience some of this life. Even some teenagers today are probably thinking, don't go there, Pastor. Don't go there. But some of us pray all the time, Lord, come. Lord, come. What is it in the Lord's Prayer that we learn? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Do you ask for that? Do you hasten this day in your prayers? Say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. We're ready for this. 
We've been under this for a long time. That's all we've ever known. That's a puzzle. Jesus' disciples thought, well, that's pretty tough, too. That's pretty tough, too. They wanted Jesus to set up his kingdom while they were still with him. They were looking forward to that. Jesus prayed for them. Ever looked very carefully at John 17? I'll give you that as your homework. Because I could read through that whole chapter today, and it's quite a long chapter. But here's the essence of it. Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them in this world and let them know that we are one. Guess what? We need that too. He doesn't take us out of this world. He says, you've got to live through an ungodly world. You've got to live in the present. But you're not alone, folks. We're not alone. We have our Savior. And he's the sovereign God. And I could wait until he's ready, because I know he's with me right now. Is he? Yes, he is. I want to restate something as we go. We don't always understand the timing. We may not even understand how this is all going to look. We may not get a lot of these things that we're talking about here. But we have been given enough for us to understand we're to trust God regardless. Trust God regardless. We can wear the same sandals as Daniel did. Being uncompromising in the world we're living in right now. Uncompromising in our lives. By that I mean, I am willing to follow my Lord. I'm willing to do what he says. I love his word and I'm going to live his word regardless of what this world thinks. I'm going to be uncompromising in my life. I'm going to be uncompromising in my job. I'm going to be uncompromising in my neighborhood and in all these witnesses around me. I'm going to live uncompromisingly in the generation I'm in. We need people like that. Are we among them? Are we ones who would say, in this evil generation, I'm going to live God's way? Regardless, that's quite a commitment to make, by the way, because he says things proceed from worse to worse. That's the end times. And if we're living in that time, which I think we are, uncompromising is going to be a big word. Not just because it has a lot of letters in it, but because it has a huge, huge calling for you and me how to live in this day, how to live at this time. And I know we have kingdoms all around us in all kinds of facets. We have lives to live. We have to live in this time. But I know our God is in control. He's in control. And all we're learning about here is we can trust him. We're going to fill out this chart a little bit more as we go because there's more visions to come. More information to add. But that's the summary of the first part of it. And when you get to the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar had to respond in such a way that I think is very appropriate. He fell on his face. <laughs> he fell on his face. Although he got the wrong idea. He worshipped the wrong person. It says in verse number 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel. <laughs> Uh, 
Let, let's let's uh, see that verse, and in our minds, change one word concerning you and me. When we see these things, we fall on our face, and we do homage to who? To our Lord. To our Lord. Heavenly Father, help us with this. As we work our way through and try to understand, it's a big thing. It's huge. But you have given us enough, a glimpse of a picture to make us say, okay, Lord, we trust you. We will follow you. Where you lead, we will follow. What you say to do, we will do. We live in such a day when our world needs to see uncompromising Christians. People willing to stand on the truth, even if it means being noticed, but willing to stand on the truth of God's word and to live it out in a day like ours. Lord, please, if you will instill that within our hearts, that we will be that uncompromising person, that we will trust you regardless. As we move forward, Lord, use us to your honor and glory. We want to be lights in a dark world. We want to have hands and feet that reach out to folks in need. We want to show the love of our Savior. We want to be uh, pillars of truth. We believe in your word. May we live it, Lord. May we live it. Our world desperately needs it today. You know, Lord, our prayer request. We prayed it quite often lately concerning the nation of Israel and concerning the events of our day. And it doesn't look good. Matter of fact, it's pretty scary at times. But we're reminded this morning our God is in control. Your plan will work. It will come out exactly like you said it. And I thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for your word. Challenge us with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.